Welcome to the Leader's Life Podcast, where we implement that old school grind with that new school mind. What is up, fam? I am your host, Tamar. And before we get started, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never, ever, 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 ever miss out. Now, with that being said, I have an amazing, amazing friend and an amazing coach. Her name is Lois Barnett, and she went from struggling with anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicidal ideation, addiction, eating disorder, bipolar disorder, and borderline personality disorder to completely turn her life around by ignoring the common wisdom, breaking all the rules, reducing all stigmas, and turning the mental health model upside down. With that being said, my friend, my badass mentor, uh, a mentee, coach, amazing human being, Louise, how are you today? Lamar, thank you so much. I am so pumped to be here. If you can see me right now, I'm like jumping in my seat because you and I have had so many amazing conversations offline and I couldn't be more thrilled to bring them online today and talk about some really, really important subject matter that people need to hear about. Yes, I'm really excited. So just a background, Luis and I met through the Rob Dial business program where Luis was an amazing coach, was able to pretty much crush a lot of the goals. And she shared a lot of her story about addiction more than anything. And that's where we resonated a lot because I'm not going to share Luis's story, but Luis, can you tell the listeners or share with listeners, why are you now teaching, coaching, People who are struggling with addiction, whether that's pill addiction, drinking addiction, addiction to porn, addiction to whatever it is that is that they are numbing themselves. So can you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I should say I had a 20-year career of, you know, drinking, drugging, you know, disrespecting my body, you name it, that laundry list was out there. And when it finally came to the point that I had some small awareness that I needed change and that everything in front of me was about to crumble and fall apart. I had a, my daughter's nine now, but I had a, she was barely one at the time. And I was in a relationship that he's now my husband, but I could see it just completely falling apart. And I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to do. And I tried everything. And if you are somebody listening right now that has struggled to, you know, try putting down the pills or putting down the bottle or whatever it is, you know, that there's so many different tactics that you can try. And to me, that process literally was the definition of insanity, trying something every single day and it not working and still going back to my same habits. And finally, through trial and error and just really like literally like shaking things up and turning things upside down, I figured it out. But it took me a decade. And essentially what brought me to coaching is that that should not take a decade. That should take like six weeks, eight weeks, six months, maybe, but it should not take a decade. And so what I've done is I've taken everything I've learned over the years from my mental health experience, as well as my addiction experience, kind of combine that to this pretty much powerhouse of ultimately what is going to help people find freedom and get to the root cause. Oh, yes. Freedom, freedom, freedom. I love that, Luis, because you know, being a part of an amazing mentor program, I hear a lot, a lot of people who deal with addiction. And the biggest concern that I hear with them being with addiction is that they feel like they have it under control. 
Now, what can you just say to that person right now that's listening that says, hey, I don't have a problem. Drinking six to eight beers is just something that I can do and mm -hmm. I can control myself. I am not drunk. I am tipsy. Mm -hmm. What is your words to that to those people? Yeah. And, and we see this a lot when one spouse wants the other spouse to, you know, cut back or quit or what have you. And that's a really, really tough situation to be in. So really my heart extends to those of you who are in that situation. Everybody, first of all, is on their own path and that path is perfect for that person. And so if there is an individual that is lacking the awareness, then they're exactly where they need to be in that moment of time. What I would say can be done, and this is where I really work with individuals and groups alike, is to, you know, people think I'm crazy, but, you know, they'll come to me for six weeks. I'm like, sure, keep drinking. Like, I want you to keep your habits. Like, I don't want you to change a thing. And they think I'm completely insane. But the reality is, is that drinking is like 10% 10% of the puzzle, right? The rest of the 90% is what we need to work on. And so a lot of times, you know, the spouse who maybe doesn't have the addiction or the drinking problem sees it as if my husband or wife or partner could just stop drinking, then everything would be better, but it won't be. Um, yes. So really, I guess if I were to offer some advice, which I don't love to do, I, I would say, you know, try to look at the whole picture, the big picture. Yeah. I love how you said it's their own path. Everybody has their own path because yeah, I've seen it firsthand, whether close, close to me or heard it in stories. It's, I can't tell, I can't tell my wife. I can't tell my children. I can't tell you, Hey, stop drinking. Because at the end of the day, as you said, it's your path, your, your choice and your, your journey. I think that's the best way to, yeah. to do it. But what, what was your breaking point? Because the reason why I asked, like you said, it took a decade. Mm -hmm. I know, I know some people who unfortunately learn the hard way, whether they go to prison, they mm -hmm. get into a car accident, they almost overdose, they do something that they're just, that was just completely dangerous. Mm -hmm. And is that what it takes in order for them to decide to like, Hey, maybe I need to work on myself because that's what I've seen is like, oh my God, I am, I'm sober now because I, I was in the hospital for three days. Right. I overdosed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That idea of, do you need to hit rock bottom? Right. And Correct. for some people, yeah, that, that is their story, right? They need to get their second or third DWI and get their children taken away from them. And that's a tragic story. I like to look at it as, do you want to change the relationship that you have with alcohol? Because I did fall into that bucket of, well, at the time I was working for a fortune 100 company, I was making $250,000 a year. Right. You know, I was flying around the world. You know, my daughter was doing great. Like I was doing great. Right. Like I didn't have a problem. Two bottles of wine by myself in my closet is not a problem because I'm keeping it together. <laughs> but ultimately, if you ask yourself the question, do you want to change your relationship with alcohol? That really softens it a little bit. And you asked sort of for me, if I had a moment, I would say I had two moments, 10 years apart from one another. Wow. The first was I was 31. I'm 40 this year. And I was really struggling with my mental health again. I always have. It's always been a roller coaster effect. But this time I was getting very close to making some very drastic changes. 
And fortunately, my father flew over, he lives overseas and took care of my daughter so that I could check into an inpatient facility, psychiatric facility. And that is when I finally received my bipolar diagnosis. And that to me was really pivotal because it allowed me, you know, shame and guilt is a big piece that comes with the addiction conversation. And so by having this diagnosis, so to speak, or this explanation enabled me to really take a look back at the trajectory of my life and the choices that I had made from ages 16 to 31 at that point, and really have a bit of grace and compassion for myself. And so that I would say is when cognitive awareness started kind of trickling into my mind and trickling into my brain, not enough for me to really make any drastic changes. I put down the hard drugs, but I was still making, you know, not the best decisions, although I was medicated. So things mentally were a little bit more stable. And then when I finally met my now husband, and I mentioned towards the beginning of this podcast that I literally could close my eyes and see my life being taken from me. This beautiful life that I created for myself. I was in a relationship and and Paul to this day has not once ever asked me to change or, you know, to slow down or to do anything different. He's always loved me for exactly who I am, but it what he did do was almost I forced myself to put a mirror to my face. And when I woke up in the morning and looked in the mirror, I hated what I saw. And that cycle of waking up and hating what you see, telling yourself you're not going to drink that day, starting to think about it at three, four o'clock, five o'clock, convincing yourself that one glass is okay, throwing your daughter in bed, not even kissing her goodnight because you can't wait to get downstairs to finish the bottle of wine, then to pick an argument with your husband, go to sleep. And do the whole thing over and over and over again was wow. a cycle that I could not continue. Wow, Luis, thank you so much for sharing that. That was so powerful. And I know so many people can resonate with that. That was that was really powerful. Thank you for sharing, sharing that story because that's that's reality. That's real life. I've <laughs> seen, I hear, I hear from from the coaches that I'm coaching right now. They say it, they say, hey. I, yeah, I get that urge where I'm like, I'm not, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I'm going to be sober today. Mm-hmm. And then everything's going good. And then they have that one bad moment, whether it's a phone call from a boss, that text mm-hmm. message from the family. And it's like, nope, that's it. I, I, I need a drink. I, I, I need a drink. Or I'm going to go smoke or I'm going to go take this. I'm going to take that. It's as if like they're waiting for that other shoe to drop and not enjoying the present moment with their family and with your kids. And I know Paul, your beautiful, amazing daughter, and yourself, like you guys are, are a very tight family unit. Like you guys got to follow Louise on <laughs> social media. We'll put her, we'll put her, we'll put her, her tag on the, on the show, show notes below. But it's that, that's just very powerful. Cause as I said, I've seen that and I've, I've heard that. So thank you, Louise, for that. Awesome. I want to, this is a big question I want to ask you because I get this question asked a lot. And I want to take your, I want to hear your take on this because you've, you've obviously seen it all and, and heard all experienced a lot with this and have been just amazing to share your story. So I, I've been dealing with a lot of people who have, are recovering addicts. They are recovering addicts and they already have burnt some bridges with their family. 
they burnt some bridges with their friends and they're now sober. They're now the best that they've ever been sober for years now. And it's the greatest thing. However, their parents just don't somehow are still, still burnt by the damage that they've done in the past. Their friends are still a little weary. Their relationship, whether their loved ones still question whether or not they're really sober or really, really not. They're, they're not getting the support that they thought they would get because they have turned sober. Mm. Uh, and what is your advice to those people who are not getting that love and respect and being treated as if they are still an addict mm -hmm. when they have done the work? And that's a really hard position to be in because if you are one of those people, you know, deep in your heart that you have done the work and you have turned a corner and you have changed. And yes, there's always the possibility of things going, you know, wrong or going back the other way. But you know that, you know, a couple of things, I, I, a couple of ways, I guess you could look at this. I always but in challenging situations like this, the first thing I try to ask myself is like, what perspective can I look at this from? So it, so it can actually serve me, right? So if we ask ourselves that question as it relates to family members or loved ones not supporting us or not believing us or, you know, checking our breath to make sure we don't smell like alcohol, whatever it is, you know, what lesson can that teach us? What perspective can we take from that? And you know, is there something in that that can be teaching us a lesson for tomorrow? Is there something that we can still be working on? You gave up the booze. That's great. You put down the pills. That's great. But I guarantee you there's something that you can be doing for yourself to better yourself for tomorrow. So that's one approach that I would, I would take to that because I hope to the day I die that I'm still working on myself even if I stay sober till the day I die, you know, another thing to think of is, okay, let's look at things from our loved one's perspective and, you know, where are they sitting right now? Where, where, how are they feeling? And our sobriety journey was our journey, right? That was your journey. And they weren't, maybe they were next to us, but they were not on that journey with us. That is something that is really special and unique to, to the addict. And, a lot of times, you know, I know I can say for my family, for example, they, I'm an adult, right? I'm 40 years old. So their experience of me is 20 years in the making. And that 20 years doesn't just come undone because I've been sober for six months or a year or whatever the number is. I don't believe in numbers, but, you know, so kind of just opening up your heart to accepting that, Hey, you know what, this journey was really hard for me to get sober. So these loved ones of mine, they're on their own journey of acceptance. Yes. I love that. That is what I, that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> it's like they're if they don't want to forgive you, what you're saying is that if they're not ready to forgive you, then it's okay for mm -hmm. them not to forgive yeah, you. Like you or, weren't ready to put it down at one point. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's exactly what it is. They were not ready to, to quit whatever it was that they were addicted to at the time when their family members wanted them to uh, quit, their loved ones wanted them to quit. And then they finally, finally, after the damage has been done, they quit. And then they're not getting that support and that love. It's like, they're waiting. They're almost expecting them to fuck mm -hmm. up. They expect them to mess up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for, 
for me, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and it broke my heart. He was sober for six years, mm. six years, went to a work event and then the voices came in his head. Mm-hmm. And he went to the voices and he was just like, this is the first time I'm going to a work event where they're going to have alcohol and I'm scared to like, say, I don't want to have drunk. Nobody knows I'm sober. It's my, it's my yeah. prerogative. Yeah. It's yeah. my thing. I don't need to, I don't need to walk around with a sign that I'm sober. And he went there and, you know, being six years sober, whatever it was, had that drink. And then it, you, and then from that one drink, it ended up being, he was like, Hey, I, I, I broke the seal, you know, the toothpaste yeah. is already out of the, out of the tube. So then he, you know, he sabotaged himself that mm-hmm. evening, sabotaged mm-hmm. himself that evening. And then it's like, he says, he used the word to me, I wasted all that six years of time. And I'm like, didn't. no, you no, did you not. Didn't. You did all that work. No, you didn't. This killed me. This killed me. The day counting kills me because guess what? I get credit for 10 years of work of trying to get sober. I get credit for every single minute of that, you know? And yeah, I slipped and fell a hundred thousand times, but I still get credit for my whole journey. That is not fair. And if you are 29 days sober and you were trying to make it 30 and you drank on the 29th day, you get credit for every single one of those 29 days. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's the fire I was looking for because that's exactly what I said. I said, so you're going to discredit the, and I use it in daytime. I was like over a thousand days sober, over a thousand days sober. And you're going to focus on that one slip up, that one mess up, that one urge. So what my advice, I guess, what advice would you give to that person who doesn't want to drink? Right. But is socially awkward to say, I don't want to have a drink. Which is a lot of people. I love so, your honesty. So I guess, first of all, you're not alone. Let me just say that. I love it. You know, let me share a, a quick sort of anecdotal story with you. When I first came out of with my sobriety, I was still employed by Hilton. Amazing mm. company. Support. Yes mental health addiction, such an incredible company. And so I actually came out with a video that I did totally on the whim. I just had this like passion moment where I just felt like I needed to tell the world. This is before I met you, Amar, everything. And I shared this video, really raw video on LinkedIn. You can probably still find it. And 20,000 views. I'd never made a video in my life. And I just shared my sobriety, but what came out of sharing that story with the world, which was targeted towards the organization that I was working for at the time, came hundreds of messages of people coming to me, sharing that they wanted to quit, they just quit, they're not sure how to do it. Oh my gosh, I go to that conference too, but I only drink soda water and I just pretend it's Tito's and vodka or Tito's and soda. Like, so I guess I should say like, A, you're not alone. And B, there are more people out there that are, you know, doing the same thing or trying to conceal. If it's your preference to keep it private, that's your preference. Keep it private. If it's your goal to maybe get out of that box a little bit and open it up, you know, nothing beats baby steps or tiny habits, right? Of just, you know, say you're going to that social event. Let's take your your friend or colleague, Amar that example, right? And he's going to the social event. Maybe he has a goal of just telling one person, hey, I'm not drinking tonight, right? And just start off really, really small until it starts to feel more comfortable. And again, like everything else that we've talked about, that 
that is up to you when that feels comfortable, when that feels right. I chose the method of just like screaming into the world publicly because <laughs> it was like ripping the bandaid off and that, that seemed to work great for me. It's also accountability. So a lot of people that are a little bit apprehensive or nervous about being in these social events and I'm wondering what people are thinking about, you know, again, that's some of the work that can be done with self-confidence because there's obviously something there that you, that you're struggling with, quite frankly, if you're more concerned about what somebody else is going to think about your choices. So there's definitely work can, that can be done on that side of things as well, just to be honest, to take a look at yourself and, and ask yourself, okay, well, why, why do I care? You know, why does that matter to me? And there's a reason, there's a reason for it probably coming from when you were five years old, but there's a very good and valid reason for it. Yes, 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 yes. And you're right. There's always, I mean, yes, they enjoy that they're addicted to the alcohol, but there's something that's driving them to drink the alcohol. Mm -hmm. There's something that's driving them to take the pills. There's something that's driving them to take something to numb them. Yeah. And you said something that I'm going to give you your flowers right here, because you said that, yeah, I'm not like everybody. I didn't kind of go that I screamed and shouted because you wanted accountability. Yeah. I call you the 1% because you're the 1% that's just like, I'm sick and tired of lying to myself. You've said that to me, you know, offline pretty times. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. you know, when you were dealing with this, I'm sick and tired of lying to me. You want to be this amazing mother, which I can tell you right now, I see how much you love your daughter and how you want everything to be good, you know, for her and for your husband, Paul. So I know, I know where your heart lies with, with that. And I love that, but you're the 1%. You are the 1%. You are the one that I feel people are going to, to want to reach out to and listen, you know, to listen to this because they feel it's harder. I can tell you right now, I was out at an event, I forgot a couple months ago and somebody did that. Somebody actually told me, Hey, I'm not drinking today. And I felt so proud of that person because that's the response. I feel like 99% of the people who actually give a shit about you are going to be like, good for yes. you. I got you. You want a seltzer water? You want this? You want that? That to me is in it's and Rob Dial says this all the time, like 85% of your, of the thoughts in your head are bullshit. Like 85% of the stuff that you're building up, like, oh, I'm going to go out there and Luis is going to make fun of me because I'm not drinking. Like we, we both are in our forties right now. Yeah. Why, why are people worried about what other fucking people think? Yeah. So I'm getting all passionate now. Why yeah. is that such a fucking big deal? If huh? you're trying to better yourself for you, your daughter and your husband, who do you give a shit about what Mar thinks or anybody else does? And let's not forget, Amar, like when we look at the stats, right? I'm I'm a numbers girl. Yes. It, it varies. It fluctuates. So just for all intents and purposes, one in 10. So you walk into a social event, one in 10 people struggle with addiction. Now, what, what else does that mean? Every single else person in that room knows somebody that is struggling with addiction that is close to them, that they love and care about. So this is why when you see me say, end the stigma, let's talk about it, tell your story, all these things is because the more that we can just tell our story, honestly, the more we're going to help somebody else. So the more you walk into that social gathering and tell somebody that you're not drinking tonight, guess what? You're helping somebody else and you're doing a disservice if you don't do that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because... When he said he wasn't drinking, a few other people were like, yeah, I'm decided not to drink. It was like mm -hmm. they let their guard down. And I always say, like, why focus on the 1% who may judge you? And mm -hmm. I always say the ones who are judging are the ones who have the issue. 
the ones who are going to say, why are you not drinking, Luis? Why are you not having a drink right now? Are the ones who are like, hey, no, you're my companion. You're my ride or die. Like, I can't, I can't be holding this drink by myself. Like, no, I can't do that. And I always say, don't focus on those people. At the end of the day, I've never saw anybody lose a friend because they decided to quit or do that and, and accept if they were on, and I forgot the term, and you can help me with this. I guess enablers, they were enabled. They were a couple that were enabling each other. Mm-hmm. They both were, they both were addicted to alcohol and they both just fed off each other. The drinking buddies, right? And yeah. that's such a common, common question, concern. Again, very valid. Am I going to lose my friends? I have so many friends and there's a, there's a method that you can use. It's called the bucket method. And oh, I'm going to botch it, aren't I? Let it's me okay. See. People can Google it. People can Google it. It's called the bucket method, but basically you want to look at all of the people in your life and you want to see who do you want to plant? Who do you want to grow? Who do you want to prune? Right. Who do you need to get rid of? Nurture. There's a fourth one. Nurture, probably. Um, nurture, nurture, yeah. Probably. So it's like the existing relationship that like just evergreen. Oh, it's evergreen. So, and this is a reference by Jay Shetty, by the way, I did not come up with this. So we have relationships in our life, you know, that are just, let's let them go. They're flowing. They're good. Relationships that maybe are newer or we want to foster and relationships that we want to just totally start from scratch. Like in sobriety, a lot of times you do end up pruning away so many people in your life, because when you really look honestly at those relationships, the only reason they existed were for the alcohol. And so then what can you do this stuff? Like this doesn't just happen, right? You literally, I joined a Pilates class last week, literally, so I can make friends, you know, like this is like, it takes work, like it doesn't just happen. But when you really honestly look at the people in your life, and it's a really powerful exercise, because you just put them in these four buckets and it, it, it paints a visual. And if you're a visual learner, it's really, really impactful of who's in your life and where you need to be spending your time and energy. Time and energy. Where do you need to spend your time and energy? And that's, that's, that's so funny that you're saying that because that's once again, I'm bringing it down to the conversation I've had with addicts and I'm saying that because they've come up to me and they've been very vulnerable to, to talk about that. And it feels like they're a nuisance. It, hmm. it feels like, hey, I've inconvenienced so many people already in my whole life. Like people hate me already anyway. Like what do they give a shit if I'm still doing it and if I'm not? And when somebody said that to me who's, who's close to me, I was just like, are you convincing yourself? Right. Or are you? Con- or did somebody actually say that to you? Yeah. And nobody said that to him. Nobody said that to him. Wow. Well, those are the limiting beliefs that they tell themselves. And, you know, somebody did tell that to them at some point, right? Whether it was the coach or the parent or the friend, somebody did say something like that to that individual. And that message has stuck with them. That's yeah, that's, that's what I mean. It's just all about because I say, I say all the time, even like I going two years ago, two and a half years ago, going into my self development journey, I lost a lot of close people because mm-hmm. it was like frowned upon. It was frowned upon to better yourself. It was frowned upon to try to change a little bit of the norm. It was frowned Mm -hmm. upon to try to do something actually good for you and and your family. As you know, I'm a family man as well. You know, my wife and my children, like that, that to me is my priority. Like everything else is secondary. Everything else to me is secondary. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, so that's just the one thing that I want, you know, I want the listeners to understand is that you know who your supportive circle are. You know who it is. And if you don't have a supportive circle, go join a Pilates class. 
go <laughs> go join go join a gym go join a you know a mentor program Luis offers a bunch of amazing programs that we're going to talk about you know in the end of this but I wanted to talk about binge drinking because mm, that's okay. yeah that's something that that I feel like a lot of people um a lot of people just use kind of as a an, an excuse, but at the same time, there are people I know who've been drink who don't have a problem, but there are people I know who've been drink that may, I don't know, I'm, I'm not no doctor or I can't do that, but I can just be like, hey, something's yeah. up. So my question to you is, what is your definition of a binge, binge drinker? And based on your research, I'm going to say that. Yeah. And was Luis ever a binge drinker? Did you ever use the term, I'm just a binge drinker? Yeah. Binging is really tricky because it definitely falls into that category where individuals can convince themselves that they don't have a problem, right? Because one of my clients literally will go three, four weeks without having a single drop of alcohol. And then whatever it is, the event or, or conference or what have you is just, you know, complete mayhem. And but the ramifications sometimes of the binge drinking can feel greater than, you know, the daily drinker. I wish there were, you know, four categories that we could put drinkers in and be like, you're type A, you're type B, you're type C, you're type D, you know, arguably, if you have a relationship with alcohol that you want to change, you're probably somewhere mixed up in all of that, right? I have clients who are in, in programs that have one glass of wine a day, right? And, but that's too much for them. And they want to change their relationship with alcohol. If you ask the government what the definition of binge drinking, it's more than three drinks. If you have more than three drinks a week, your chances of, of cancer, breast cancer for women is increased by 15%. Your brain makeup changes negatively. You're destroying your brain if you're drinking more than three drinks a week. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. In my drinking days, I would say that, yes, because I couldn't, you'll hear a lot, I, I can't just have one, right? So I, I couldn't, you know, leaving a bottle unfinished is, was like a cardinal yeah. sin. What am I going <laughs> to spill it out? What am I going to throw it away? <laughs> got to finish it. Exactly. Like my husband would leave like half a beer on the table at a restaurant and I'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But I, I was definitely a, a binge drinker in my, in my twenties and early thirties for sure. And then I would say, arguably, I, I wasn't as much into my thirties simply because I was working so hard to control things and keep it together. And as your body ages, your response to alcohol changes too. So. Yeah, uh, no, that, 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 that definitely explains it because I've, uh, I've actually heard people say, yeah, I can, I can go without drinking, but mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it though. I'm thinking mm -hmm. about that one time though, that one free pass or that one time where like the, my significant other, my circle, my know that I'm going to be drinking there. And it's, you know, I, I, I can do, I didn't drink for the past six months. Like yeah. I can, I can get shit face. It doesn't matter. I mean, right. I, I have control because right. I didn't, I haven't drank in the past four to six months. Right. And again, I think with that too, let's not even talk about the alcohol. Now let's, let's talk about some of the other things that are going on there. Right. And just gain some better treat ourselves as a subject. Right. And, mm -hmm. and let's just gain some better self-awareness and emotional intelligence there to really understand what's going on 
it's something I, I feel so strongly about that if we can, you know, we put the, what's the expression? We put the cart before the horse too often when we just say, okay, I'm going to quit drinking, right? With no preparation, with, without have studied who we are and why we are and root causes, you know, I'm just going to take 30 days off. I'm just going to do dry January. Do you know how many dry Januaries I did before I finally quit drinking? You know, you're setting yourself up for failure. So ultimately it's, it's the same question. Do you want to change your relationship with alcohol? If you're good with your relationship with alcohol, then you're good. If you want to change anything about your relationship with alcohol, it doesn't matter if you're an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if you drink five days a week, seven days a week. It doesn't matter if you drink a bottle of vodka on a Saturday night. Just how do you feel? Love that. How do you feel? Like That's a great, great question to ask because you can lie to me all day long, Luis. Like you could. You can lie to, and I can, I can lie, I can lie to my wife all day. I can lie, lie, lie to my work all day. I can lie to the community all day, but myself, it's like the mirror, like what you said earlier, you know, but when you look in the mirror, you can't lie to yourself. You can't lie to yourself and say that. And I feel that that's something that is so beautiful in what you do with in the coaching world and the mentor world, where you actually have people look at themselves instead of numbing because people are scared people yeah. are really scared to yeah. look at themselves when they know they're hiding something and addiction is something that i've i've learned so much in the past 2 years with being a part of rob that how how much people hide it and mm-hmm. how much people pretend it doesn't exist or pretend they don't until somebody like you says hey the 1%. I had a problem and this is what I did. And then all of a sudden they let their guard down and then they let their guard down. And what is it that they need? Why are they letting their guard down? Power of community. It cannot be underestimated. You know, just like we talked about before in that small scale of the social event of just finding that buddy that, that knows that you're staying sober tonight, the power of community is incredible. And this also goes along with when we were talking about people in our lives and it's important. One of the most beautiful things that will come out of recovery for you is that a relationship that maybe previously would have taken five years to build these relationships. And obviously Amar, you and I know this from, you know, the communities that we're in, the bonds that are formed in these communities are stronger than bonds I've had my entire life. God, yeah. People care about you so much. So the first thing I always do is just say, get in my community, just get yeah. in the community, find a buddy, find an accountability buddy, right? When you feel it is human nature to want to belong, right? Going back, you know, millions of years, we, we, we were in tribes, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted to belong. We needed to belong. If we weren't part of a tribe, we would die. So find your tribe. Love that. Find your tribe. I always say that in, uh, in, in my podcast as far as like go with your tribe. So I, I love that you said that, Louise. So, you know, she just said something powerful. And I want everybody, anybody who's struggling with addiction, who's struggling with somebody that they know that 
that is struggling with addiction, somebody that maybe you're lying to yourself, like you have an actual platform. And this is why like, I was excited to reach out to Luis to get on, on this podcast is because I've seen this too much in my life. I've seen it so much in this coaching world. I've seen it so much. And Luis had a crazy waiting list going on. And that's when I told, I was like, when your waiting list is done, come on to this episode. Because <laughs> I want you to, I want you to share this with the world. And I want people to reach out to you, Luis, because you said it yourself, the community. I have made the best of friends from, from, from the community that you and I are part of. I have, and it's because they don't judge you. They're, we're in the same, same place as you. And most importantly, they're going to pick you up when it's down. So Luis, how can we tell anybody who's listening? Because I know we'll put the stuff on the show notes, but please, mm -hmm. how can they reach you and be a part of something like, like what we've been discussing this whole episode? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, just dip your toe in the water. I started a nonprofit organization called Together Sober. And part of that is a super free Facebook group. So it's as easy as that within the community. It's really what sets it apart from other communities potentially is there's a really strong live component to it. So you'll see live education series. You're going to see live support meetings. So opportunities just to like gather together and support one another. And then something that's really near and dear to my heart is a series called Tell Your Story. I believe the power of storytelling is unmatched. So you'll see a series of either group members or guests coming from outside to just share their story of sobriety and addiction. So those are just some of the things that you'll see within, within there. There's so many just fun things that we're doing as well as add-ons that align with, you know, my beliefs around how we really should be tackling recovery. And that is to focus on on self-awareness, emotional intelligence, and mental toughness first, and then let's focus and take action. So uh, you'll see coming soon a 30-day audit opportunity where it's essentially a 30-day program where I ask you not to change anything about your behaviors right now. We just want to get a bird's eye view, a non-biased, non-judgmental approach of yourself so you know what you're dealing with. Because until you know what you're dealing with, you can't May, right. I'm not going to be like, go to my kitchen and, and bake a cake, but not show you the ingredients. Like you need mm -hmm. to know what you're cooking with. So that's the idea of the 30 day audit, which then flows into stand up to alcohol, a 30 day take action challenge. So those are just kind of some fun things that are going on right now. There's a boot camp that will be launched by the time you hear this. So I'll make sure to get Amara the link for that. It's a condensed basically work that I see that in six months, I've condensed to a six week program, which is also includes a lot of community and support and some of the other things that we talked about. But if that's all too much, just join the Facebook group. I'd love there to we see go. <laughs> now together, together sober is what it's mm -hmm. called. And I'm going to have everything on the show notes. Even yeah. if this episode, let's just say airs and it comes the next day, I will, we will update the show notes. It takes two seconds to do that. Oh. But Luis, I want to personally thank you as, you know, you're, you're just an amazing friend, an amazing human being to take the time out of your crazy, crazy, crazy day to just share, share, and most importantly, give, because if there's one thing that I, I feel like it's, I feel like everybody deserves a second chance. And especially when they're doing everything they can to want that second chance. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much 
for taking time out of your craziness to, to share your experiences and most importantly, change somebody for anybody who needs that help, anybody who's struggling, anybody who's just like, I have no hope. I'm at rock bottom. No, you're not. Luis is here. She's, she's, she's has a lot of experiences, she says, and does it, does it in a, in a different unorthodox way. (laughs) Very much so radical, so to speak. I appreciate you so much, Amar. Honestly, I just, you are exactly where you're meant to be. You don't need to take any action today. Just embrace yourself for who you are right now in this journey. Tomorrow will come tomorrow and find a community, build your tribe. Find that community, find that tribe. And that's that. Thank you so much, everybody, for showing up and listening. Please click on that subscribe button so you never, ever miss out and share this with your family, friends, and tribes. And if you really, really dig this, tag me at Leaders Life Podcast on social media. You all freaking rock. Remember, why not you? Why not now? Hope you all have an amazing rest of your day.